close to a year ago, we had an interview here on the AI and Industry Podcast with Jeremy Barnes of Element AI. We visited their headquarters in Montreal, and we'd, we'd interviewed Yashua Bengio a couple of years before that. And Jeremy had brought up one point in that interview that I really like and that transfers its way into this conversation, which is that businesses should think not just about being more efficient with artificial intelligence when they, they talk about kind of a place to land, a beachhead for leveraging AI in an existing enterprise, but places where they can be a bigger win, where they can actually win market share, maybe win revenue, make a real difference in the bottom line for the company beyond shaving off some savings. And I think that when we talk about kind of the processing of documents, the sort of uh, often perceived as boring world of kind of NLP for uh, documents or document search or kind of understanding language in, in unstructured text, um, often people think about efficiencies. Can we save some time? Can we knock off some of the monotonous stuff so that humans are freed up to do things that are a little bit more interesting? And where we focus this interview, which is actually on the analysis of contracts, uh, sort of compliance and analysis of contracts. Often I think the first thought would be, yeah, it'd be great to save some time. Find those clauses that matter, make those edits that matter, compare it to our previous contracts in a way that gives us a sense of where we stand and kind of move along. Save, save people a couple minutes uh, kind of along the path. But as it turns out, the vision is bigger than that. This week we speak with Shiv Vyathyanathan, who is a IBM fellow and chief architect of Watson Compare and Comply. Uh, he's been with IBM for 20 years. Uh, so this is a fellow with some, some pretty robust experience in the domain of analyzing text and documents, and previously worked as chief scientist on text analytics at a large scale with IBM Research. So we speak with Shiv about what's possible with analyzing contracts now. What is the business value if the technology was frozen and didn't develop? What can we now do with contracts in AI that we couldn't do before? That's question one. But where we really take things is where is the business upside? How can we analyze contracts, not just in a way that saves money, but that allows us to optimize our deals for revenue, that allows us to optimize our deals for likelihood of going through, that allows us to maybe mitigate bigger financial risks, not just time savings, but real difference to the bottom line. What's that farther vision? Now, some of that is beyond where the tech is today, but I asked Shiv to paint that vision because I think that this whole episode is about opening people's eyes to what is white collar automation all about? What is the analysis of documents all about? How can this be more than saving time? And that's exactly what we get into. So without further ado, this is Shiv with IBM. I am Dan Fagella with Emerge, and you are listening to AI and Industry. Let's dive in. So Shiv, where I want to start us off, as we normally do on AI and industry, is, is just by talking about the current lay of the land for AI and contract management. We've done a lot of work in legal. Contracts is obviously kind of its own beast in legal. And I know you folks are working in the enterprise, not necessarily just with law firms. Speak to us about, you know, assuming the technology was frozen today, what can we do with contracts that's, that's useful with artificial intelligence? So there are broadly two areas that I will talk about in terms of where the AI uh, technology is, is applicable to contracts. One, in the actual reading of the contracts itself and classifying individual clauses, identifying individual obligations, exclusions, and disclaimers for the individual parties in a contract. Today, a significant portion of what I'm telling you of that is being done by humans, keying in the individual metadata from a contract, who are the parties involved, when is the effective date of the party? When is the end date of, of the contract? When is the end date of the contract? All of these individual pieces of information, they keep getting keyed in manually. 
yeah. over and above that over and above that there is every individual sentence it is referred to for the most part in legal terms as a uh, as as an element each element needs to be now identified as whether it is an obligation a disclaimer mm-hmm. a um, a definition and if for each of those things it's been identified as an obligation or a right or a disclaimer or an exclusion it has to be then identified for which party is it relevant to i'll give you a approximate estimate we sat down with a corporate lawyer who does this who's been doing this for the last 15 years about a 14 to 15 page contract took him more than an hour to be able to go through every sentence and we can do it now in minutes today without uh, with the ai software so these applications are immediate in my opinion is this is not something it's further down the second part is the original contract typically comes to us often in in scanned pdf documents These scanned PDF documents are such that you cannot even open them up in your browser and cut and paste from that if you want to put it into a different, uh, either an ERP software or some other software for digital processing. So just being able to take these images and OCR images and other TIFF images and other images and pulling out the digital text from that and being able to put them into a digital format that can then do the processing that we need to do. Both of those things are stuff that can be done today and it can be done actually pretty effectively. Cool. Okay. So if you don't mind, we can kind of poke into these a little bit with you, Shiv. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, so yeah, the OCR deal, I mean, that, that's just such a ubiquitously useful kind of enterprise use case for AI is like scanning all this silly paper and making sure that it's digital, that we can search it, that we know what all the, the different details of it are, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's, that would be for kind of any process, even outside of legal, but obviously it's so important in legal as well, just in case things don't come in in a nice digital format that that we want. The other two that you'd mentioned, which are, you know, simple, straightforward use cases of of where AI can be applied within a contract, one of which I actually hadn't heard of. The first one was pulling out the key facts. So you'd mentioned, you know, when is something due or, you know, I don't know who's sending this to us or, or those those kind of just high level factoids about whatever this document is, those those instead of somebody having to look at it, examine it, and then fill out some other form to enter them all, we might be able to use NLP in some way to, to scan and extract kind of those critical facts, you know, the maybe the who, what's, and where's, you know, for lack of a better term. Again, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but just reframing here. And then the second thing was, you mentioned that each sentence in a contract, you, you spoke of them as elements. Now, I'm not sure if that's just what lawyers say or what uh, data science lawyers say or who, who says that, but you said that every element within a contract, again, it, it implies something. It's It's a it's obligating someone to something. It's, you know, there's probably, I don't know if there's 20 or 30 different categories of elements. So we might be able to look at like the element density of different types based on a whole, a whole document. Am I putting things in the right frame here for the people at home who aren't AI experts, or is there a way that you can maybe add some color to that? Uh, I'll certainly add color, but you, you're perfectly in the right direction. Each and every one of these elements term that I used, think of it as a legal informatics term. So you are right in that it's it's a lawyer term as well as it is a computer science term. So I'm going to merge those two into a legal informatics term. Got it. So these elements, these elements that we identify then get classified into several, the 20 odd categories and the other side of it, the, the obligation, the disclaimer, etc. These are referred to as natures. So we have to identify what the nature is and we have to classify, we have to identify which party is it for. So, and these are relatively complex sentences. 
And because of the way in which legal language itself gets written, understanding those linguistic structures is one of the leaps that we have done in the world of NLP as a whole to be able to go ahead and identify these things. If if I step back one second, while NLP is the broader area of AI, legal language processing, think of it as a slightly smaller subset of natural language processing. And that legal language processing is slightly more structured and can be attacked and can be accomplished with very high accuracy, in my opinion, today. Yeah, because there's certain sort of, um, unlike, let's say, I don't know, fiction novels, your average legal contract will have more things in common in terms of how it starts, how it ends, how it phrases certain things. You know, again, there's a a structure. So that actually makes it kind of a ripe area for NLP because you have those waypoints to stick to. Exactly. Exactly. Precisely the reason why this is not something down the line, but today technology, and it is something that can affect enterprises today. And so in terms of, and obviously it's going to go deeper in the future, we're talking about kind of, you know, high level current applications. And of, of course, it's going to become more capable. One more question about this elements idea, this legal informatics term, not that many people get to call themselves that this, this, this term of elements, I would suspect, you know, as an outsider, someone who's never been a lawyer and kind of thankful for that, uh, that that there's maybe, I don't know, I mean, elements seems like there could be an unlimited number of permutations, but maybe there's kind of categories, like maybe there's there's eight basic categories of elements and then underneath each each of those is like another 20 or something. How do those have to be broken down? Is it is it extremely crazily granular? Is it, you know, kind of high level bucketable or does it vary drastically from one client to another? You know, how, how do these elements function? If I kind of visualize in my mind breaking out sentences into elements, Tell us about, I guess, how many ways we can slice and dice those. Okay. So uh, let me step back for a second and give you the higher level structural elements of a document, so sure. of a contract. So if you take the, a contract, the higher level structural elements of a contract sort of briefly fall into the following. There is sections, there is subsections, sub-subsections, and so on that we understand. And within these, there are paragraphs, and within paragraphs, there are sentences. There are two more structural elements in a contract that matter a lot. One are bulleted lists. In typically in bulleted lists, we start by writing down the actual leading sentence and each and every individual bullet after that leads on from that particular sentence. So the full sentence English is formed together by putting together the leading sentence and each bullet. So such bulleted lists are yet another structural construct that are very important. And finally, tables. Tables contains a significant meat of what exists in a contract. So, for example, if you talk about software entitlements, I mean, when company A buys a software from company B, it is entitled to certain things. What that entitlement is, which software, which version, for how long is it the entitlement valid for? All of those things go into tables and you need to extract them out from tables. So these are largely the structural constructs. Within the structural constructs, there can be variants depending upon exactly what type of a contract it is. Some are the level of individual sentences, and that's what I refer to in elements. In some cases, the actual elements may be two or three sentences together, maybe forming a portion of a paragraph or one sub-bullet. So there is some level of variance, but it is not crazy variance. And the real leap that we do with terms of the more than NLP and bringing together other technologies from AI is being able to break those things down somewhat, somewhat accurately from one contract to another. Okay, got it. So yeah, there's, I guess, ideas to understand here if you want to grasp elements, but it sounds like 
there are ways to parse a contract in a somewhat systematic way to, I guess, start with the same bones of the skeleton here when, when we get down to the level of elements. Like we, we boil down to that in a similar way because contracts have, at least on some level, at a high level, a similar skeleton. Correct. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, exactly. The, the second sort of part of this question outside of, you know, what's possible today. So I can imagine, you know, being someone in the enterprise looking across all my contracts and figuring out um, how many of them are obligating me to do X, you know, how many of them tie to this product that I offer, how many of them, you know, expire by this date, whatever the case may be, being able to search Correct. documents, find things in documents, I can see the practical value in that. Clearly, you know, at IBM, and, and I imagine the other folks working in this space, people are looking into kind of what the future of law is going to be, you know, where we're actually headed, what what things are going to look like when things become more capable. What are you excited about there? You know, when you look at where legal is going to be in the enterprise, you know, at, I don't know, five years, a decade ahead, whatever, what are the AI capabilities? What are the, the, the abilities of someone searching documents or exploring documents that you think will be unlocked? Talk a bit about what you see as the worthwhile future for this endeavor. Excellent. Um, so you're talking close to my heart right now. So the areas that you just laid out as being current and searching and understanding and finding is the first step. The next step, which is pretty close in the horizon, is the notion of comparison. Basically, being able to take a template contract with an actual instance of a contract and be able to identify semantically, hey, where are the pieces of these two contracts different? Where are the pieces of these things that are identical? And where are the things that are deviant in language from what I would normally expect it to be. This is the kind of understanding and being able to recognize what is different across things that starts to have pretty significant impact on all the way from contract negotiation, which is where two parties go through back and forth and oftentimes go a very long time before they're able to converge, yep. all the way up to minimizing exposure for a company. The, the minimization of exposure is not just compliance with regulatory bodies, but minimizing exposure is even on contracts that we have, massive contracts like SLAs and minimization of, uh, of fines that come about, revenue uh, recognition. Just about every area within the larger enterprise, all of which rely on contracts, will absolutely get affected as Today, almost all of them rely on humans doing it. While humans will do it, there is tiredness, there is going to be inconsistency, there is going to be lack of correctness. There's a myriad of reasons why when we start to understand this at this level and be able to recognize the fact that things are changing, not only will fact-finding be useful, but minimizing risk. And that's, that's, that's the place where the real dollars start to flow in. And so maybe we can talk, talk through a hypothetical example of this dynamic. You know, we, we think maybe in the future here, I don't know, five years in the future, let's say there's some big pharmaceutical company that wants to, you know, limit their exposure in some way. How would they use the future versions of the tools that are out today to do that? You know, what would they assess on the outset? Where would it come into play to really drive that business value home if we use hypothetical? And you don't have to be in life sciences. I'm just using that as a random example. But would you mind maybe walking us through something you can see in your mind? So the sequence in the way in which if I had all the control, I would play out in this as a following. Today's software is something I expect corporate lawyers to start utilizing immediately now. 
as we go further, there is going to be as larger operations in a company happen, whether they are mergers and acquisitions, whether they are running other deals with somebody else, there are uh, gazillions of contracts that have to be gone through and looked at. I expect the software to evolve to a point wherein a group of lawyers, will, uh, corporate lawyers, will just hand over a significant number of documents or contracts over to this piece of software. It will come back with the analysis, and the analysis will contain all the way from here are these many obligations of the individual at that level that we already talked about to here are all the deviations that we see and here are the kind of things that we need to look at before you move the next step forward. I actually expect it to go a little bit further. Hmm. This information this information that comes out from this larger batch of contracts that comes back is can be fed into a model and these models start to give you some level of even quantification of the risk. This is not, I, whatever I'm telling you right now is not something Yeah, it's way true. We're, we're talking about the future. This is exciting. Go ahead. Right. So this sequence of things playing out to the point where even before contracts get written, such a simulation gets done, and it starts to give companies and particularly lawyers and mergers and acquisitions and other major decisions that get made in a company to start to get a feel for what is the risk they're even getting into in such a deal. I mean, clearly humans are going to be involved in doing due diligence oh, yes. on yes, every yes, output yes. that comes, no question at all. But right now, it's a lot of it is based on a group of people sitting down, maybe going through a few documents, but imagine basically increasing that by two orders of magnitude and knowing that your level of correctness is going to be up by another 50, 80%. And that going into a model because you have all data available, that can make a pretty significant effect. I'll give you a little bit more even concrete example. Yeah, please. I'm very, very sure that large companies, I mean, IBM being one of them, but there are other large companies like uh, Infosys and and uh, and, and um, other large services companies who have these big services contracts that they put together. And these services contracts are not such that they can get comfortable with that every quarter things will get paid because there are some clauses that get violated. The customer comes back and says, sorry, I will not pay for these clauses because these things did not get completed. Today, that kind of labeled data is available within these large enterprises. Imagine if that information could be extracted, fed into a model and a model trained that actually tells you, okay, you know what? As you're writing this particular contract, this is closer to a contract that you've written before that got uh, that did not bring in the money that it was supposed to. You may want to reword things. There's the business value, right? That is the business yeah, value. So, That's okay. This is this is cool. Maybe we can end on this, Shiv. I was going to talk a little bit about who might adopt this, but you're touching on something that's so critical. I think people think about legal AI oftentimes, right? Not, not all the time, but I think most people's first impression is, okay, well, you know, it's going to save lawyers time. You know, they're going to find what they need to find. They're going to search what they need to search for. They're going to be able to look for the kinds of clauses that they want to watch out for. And okay, we get it. You know, we can save some people uh, some time. And maybe we can do legal research faster, you know, faster than maybe traditional libraries or something. But what you're talking about here is, you know, business decision making that might have real leverage, not just reduction in hours. And, and so Correct. when you think about the business and or financial upside uh, beyond just saving clock time, you were touching on it right there, but how would you summarize that? Again, we're talking about the future here. We're painting the future for the audience, but where do you see those opportunities where this is not just a time saver? Maybe this could transform into something that, that actually is driving value. You talked about crafting contracts with a historical record of bringing in business, for example. Um, maybe talk a bit on that. 
Okay. So broadly, there are two areas that will get affected. One is productivity that we, we all know and realize and it's obvious. And the second one is going to minimize it, minimize the exposure. In the minimize exposure part, it is across the board. It is all the way from merger and acquisitions where when you do buy a company to even uh, a healthcare company, which has many, many, many. One of the healthcare companies that I recently spoke with basically said they have more than 20 years of BAA, business associate agreements that are in there. That tells them what data they can use, how they can use the data with covered entities, what they can and cannot do with that data. Unfortunately, there is a lot hidden in there. They don't touch anything, mostly because of the fact that they don't know what they're even allowed to do, and they just don't have the people to go through 20 years. So here is actual lost opportunity because nobody has taken the trouble to understand those 20 years of business associate agreements. Similarly, on the services side, there are contracts that are getting put together. Usually they just get copied from a previous template. The fact that those previous templates have created problems and has resulted in potentially hundreds of millions. I mean, such such outsourcing contracts can be in billions of dollars. And potential losses of hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. have happened has not been taken into consideration while they actually go ahead and write down the legal. Um, I'll give you a number approximately. In most of such large services that happen and large outsourcing contract services that happen, one third of the reason why revenue is not accrued is usually because the service contracts have not been written appropriately approximately one third. That's a pretty significant number. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and you'd mentioned looking back historically through all those documents, it's like, there really isn't a great way to do that now, obviously. And, and you know, it's a lot of manual time. It's, it's applying human expertise. It's double checking and triple checking, but there's no real great way of saying, here's how we structure this. That's really going to make those financial results most likely, you know, there's, there's no statistically significant method of doing that. Um, Correct. Yeah. So, so okay. So exactly there, right. there's maybe where the upside lies. Cool. Where I think that's food for thought for the people tuning in to kind of the the legal or even just kind of the, the almost, you know, document search and discovery side of things is that, you know, some of this, yes, is to save time, but some of this is to unearth opportunities that really hinge big business, hinge big savings, hinge big revenue or partnerships and relationships. And it, it seems like maybe that's the the bigger picture here where we're hopefully we'll be able to steer things in the future. So Shiv, I know that that's all we have for time, but I sincerely appreciate you sharing your ideas with us on AI and industry. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you very much for having me here. That's all for this episode on the AI and industry podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, most of our podcast listeners get our, the episodes directly to their inbox 
talks every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. Uh, I'm Dan Figella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.